and turn to Revelation 19, and we will be impressed by the power and the holiness of our Savior. Um, Coming the climax here of the whole book, the victory of the Lamb, and we've seen all the wickedness and the evil of Satan's minions of the Antichrist and the false prophet and the harlot Babylon and all of these Babylon in particular has been defeated, destroyed, and the world laments because the world has put, the the world that has rejected Christ, the earth dwellers, have put all their dependence in the financial um, and false religions and immorality um, of the world. All of their trust is laid in that, and it has been utterly decimated uh, by God here at the end. And so for those that have rejected Christ, it is an incredible loss. Again, if you think of, uh, somebody mentioned to me, I think it was Tom last week, could the United States, or it was two weeks ago, United States actually be part of this spirit of, of Babylon? Well, we just don't know, but it sure is a lot of... Um, There sure is a lot of similarities, unfortunately, between our country today and and Babylon. But that same spirit will be overthrown and the the world will be in angst. But we saw in verse 19, the followers of the Lamb will will, uh, raise joy, will be in joy and be glad and uh, worship the Lord for these things. And really, we're going to see a lot of worship as we continue. Uh, I don't know, we'll get all the way through chapter 19 tonight. Um, probably not, but then we have uh, another couple services and another Wednesday. So I think we're going to be able to get through this book. Let me read then what we read a couple weeks ago in chapter 19 about the response of uh, the redeemed to the destruction of Babylon. Revelation 19 verse 1. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, which of course is the old Hebrew word for praise God. He's deserving of all our praise. (laughs) Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. Every aspect of his destruction of Babylon and of his enemies are holy and right to have accomplished. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality that terrible picture of her evil has been destroyed, wiped out, and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. The reason God did that is because she went after his saints, his people. And vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And folks, God will have vengeance for, the, um, for his people who have been eaten up by this world system. And it will be complete when it happens. And so the joy, again, verse 3, once more they cried out, Hallelujah, praise God. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And really this this helps us as believers keep our focus on the finish line, that God will end all these trials at some point, all this persecution, all this rebellion against him. There will come an end. And then our response will be to praise him for his righteous judgments. God deserves all the glory, folks, for what he does here. And yet, in verse 3, it is sobering. The smoke of punishment here is eternal. And people will experience, those that put their 
faith in Satan and Antichrist and Babylon will experience eternal judgment where the smoke will never go away. But it is a sign as well that God will fully deal in judgment with those who have opposed him. And then verse 24, the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who is seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And that is again the appropriate response to God's vengeance on his enemies. And again, the, the elders here, probably good representation of the redeemed from all ages, all of the redeemed uh, giving honor and glory. It's good for us today to already give honor and glory for what we know is a done deal. This will take place. And so it continues, uh, uh, verse 5, from the throne, this is from God himself, came a voice saying, this is a command. A direct command from God. Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. And God, it is appropriate for him to command praise for all that he has done. Um, from all of his people, uh, those that fear are in awe, who um, submit that to, the, to him as their Lord, who revere him. Our response must be to worship him. If you're one of God's servants, if, you've, if you serve him faithfully, you will worship him faithfully. And you won't have a problem with him commanding that because he's worthy of it. Well, then you have the second part here. That was really praise and honor and glory for the judgment on enemies and for God's justice and holiness to, um, to win the day. And that's certainly cause for joy. But then something even more joyous here is that the kingdom of God is getting ready um, to enter and to begin. And there's much rejoicing over this. Verse 6, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. It's even uh, maybe even louder than um, the, the praise that's already been given because it's described here like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. If you've ever been in a really, near a really intense waterfall and you can barely hear yourself or an intense lightning storm, um, this is loud, this is majestic, and this is praise to God. They're crying out again, praise God. That's what hallelujah means. Well, why are they praising him this time? Um, because if you'll remember, uh, there was a lot of praise for these bowls of judgment. And it may seem strange for God's people to be anticipating and almost excited about judgment. But this explains why. Is that there is the expectation that after this judgment, when God deals with his enemies and takes care of them, then, or takes uh, or or deals with them in a righteous way, then his kingdom will come and will be inaugurated, and that's the the full reason why his people are are anticipating the judgments because they know what comes after that, and that's what's described here. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. He's Almighty, folks. He is the Lord that we submit to. He is fully our God. Let us rejoice, verse 7, let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, 
and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with white linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And here um, we have the marriage supper of the Lamb uh, that is getting ready to take place. If you remember, this was described all the way back, and we've actually looked at this before in Isaiah 25. I'll just read to you verses 6 through 9 again. Um, this was prophesied, and this is the, this is the um, foretelling of the final fulfillment of Isaiah 25. Verse 6, Isaiah said, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine. He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all the people. That means the gloom and the despair, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all the faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away. You remember this, I'm sure. And it will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. This is our Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And this describes now the fulfillment of that. And God's people are glad. This marriage supper of the Lamb um, describes the point. It's kind of like a simultaneous thing of the kingdom of God being established. God's people dwelling with him. And then this beautiful feast commemorating this. It says here, the bride has made herself um, ready. And this is the interesting, uh, both sides of the coin here are described. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Whoever the bride is that it's describing here, it says that she had a responsibility to prepare herself, but that her garment was given to her by God. All right. Now, let me just, uh, this isn't a trick question, but this is misunder. Well, you know what? Do I really want to do that tonight? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll throw this out there. I, I just, uh, we, we'll have more details uh, on Sunday about this. But who is this bride that is described here? Um, the church. That, that is the common and it is the church. Amen. So, and so Rob says, "Amen." That's, and that it is the church. But we're going to see in the next chapter that it's described in a little different terms than we normally uh, notice. Um, and there's a little bit of misunderstanding as well because it's also described as the New Jerusalem, the city. That's strange. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have you. You can read ahead uh, in Revelation 20. And I'll just give you this clue. It, I believe it includes more than the, just the church. And you read that Revelation 20 and you see if you can catch what I'm saying. And we'll talk about it Sunday, so I won't leave you hanging long. All right? But certainly the bride is God's people. And it is the church. And it seems like at this point that during the whole tribulation that we should view, um, if you want to say the marriage ceremony of the lamb with his people happening in heaven and now they're coming with him and they're going to celebrate and the celebration is also going to include the celebration of the kingdom that has come and all these concepts are together and this is why God's people are so excited um, that now that the judgment 
has almost ended because remember, we still have one more great battle that's described here at the end of the chapter. But the kingdom and the marriage supper of the Lamb is as good as done. It's here. So if we're describing the bride as the church, it says made herself ready and it describes her again as responsible to be pure, to be committed to Christ. But also that her garment was given to her, her righteous garments are given to her by God. So ultimately, this is the work that God does. We can't be made righteous. We can't prepare ourselves without him giving us the garments. But he does give us the opportunity um, to have a part in this, to prepare herself. And that is God gives us those righteous robes and we put them on. And we prepare ourselves in that way. As God has enabled us through our relationship in Christ and the work that Christ has done, to be pure, to be forgiven of sin, to be cleansed of sin. We also see the other side of it, that in, in, throughout the New Testament, we're encouraged to do right, to be committed, to, um, to um, follow after him, to, to uh, be committed to a walk with Christ. That is our responsibility. And so you see both sides of it here. The bride prepares herself, but her garment is given to her by God. And that fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. God enables us to do these deeds, but then we must carry them out in our lives. And this day we will, at this point, at the end times events, we will be prepared um, in a glorious way uh, to be able to serve in a perfect way that we've never been able to before and will be clothed in these glorious robes and it will be a wonderful time of praise and worship. God's grace allows us the ability to make ourselves ready. And so um, let's continue to read here as we finish up. The angel said to me, write this, John, write this down. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And it seems, and this is a little confusing, but it seems as if best interpreted is the same folks that are invited to the wedding are also the bride of Christ as well. These are believers. And we see parables that Christ gave in Matthew and other places that talked about having an invitation to the wedding, right? Some rejected. Um, some took up the offer of, of the invite to the wedding. And it seems like both concepts are combined here to basically have the idea that God's people, his followers, uh, the true believers, will now enjoy this wonderful communion with him. And it's not just a one-time event, but I believe in context here, this marriage supper of the Lamb is one that will continue on through all eternity. In communion and enjoyment of the Lamb and His presence forever. And that, folks, truly is something to rejoice and be thankful for, that we get to experience that. Well, this truth overwhelms John. And the angel makes clear that all that he has said, well, is it just... In, uh, 
is it just the invitation that he's talking about here that the angel says is the true words of God? I think it's all of these end time from what will happen to God's enemies um, to the kingdom coming. All these things, angels saying, John, you can count on it. These things will happen. They will take place. And those believers that are a part of the marriage supper of the Lamb will have the most wonderful blessing of all. That's the most wonderful beatitude in the Bible here. Blessed are those who are invited, happy, whole are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it's just, poor John, he's overwhelmed, as any of us would be at this point. And he gets confused. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt here. I don't think he's trying to, yeah, I don't think he's trying to do what the people in, in Colossians, what Paul was warning them about, about worshiping angels. Um, I just think he's confused. He's hearing these wonderful things about what's going to happen. And he falls down in humility. He starts to worship this angel because of the wonderful truths the angel has given him. But the angel, and this is true of all of God's servants that should respond in this way, when we sense that we're getting too much of the accolades and too much of the attention, we say, oh no, oh no, don't give those to me. I don't deserve those. Those belong to Jesus Christ. If even the angels do that, folks, then we ought to be especially careful that we're not taking the accolades and um, the honor and glory from God away from him, but we're pointing folks to Jesus Christ. He said, you must not do that. That's a command. You cannot do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. You worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And what is the angel saying here? He's really given testimony that ultimately all of Scripture points to Jesus. And so if that's the case, and it is, then our worship ought to always point to Jesus Christ. Let's make sure that we're never worshiping an individual, another man, another human being, only Jesus Christ alone. If the angels understand that, as glorious as they are, can you imagine that, you know, the, these angels that, that these folks tremble over when they see them and this angel says, I'm just a fellow servant like you. Well, not exactly, but he serves the Lord in the same way. And we, we proclaim the testimony of Jesus Christ. You worship God. And he's also pointing out that worshiping Jesus is worshiping God, Right. All of the Bible points, and this is the final climax, not only of Revelation, but all of Scripture, is that Jesus is worthy of all of our worship, and he will be victorious. And so we will see in vivid detail as we end up um, the end of chapter 19 this Sunday, uh, the victory that the Lamb will bring upon his enemies in this terrible battle called Armageddon that will actually have a quick ending. And God's people, the Lamb's uh, followers will be with him and he will make swift destruction of his enemies and then he will deal with them once and for all and we will just see a wonderful scene of worship and honoring and glory, glorying the Lamb throughout the rest of the book. So this is the best parts, folks, and we ought to be enjoying these because the lamb will overcome.